Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, inspire, and encourage. Today, we welcome Reggie Ball back on the podcast. I'm so excited Reggie joined us again to share more stories of his time in the Secret Service. For more, listen to this episode. You're going to be so amazed by the life of Reggie and those he protected. So sit back, relax, and get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Welcome back to Write It Down. I'm so excited to reintroduce Reggie Ball, my new friend. He's coming back on to tell us uh, more stories. Um, Reggie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you for having me again. I, I really enjoyed the first time, so let's uh, let's make this a good one. This is going to be fun. Um, I'd be remiss not to talk about our boy, Marcus Allen. We got to talk to him recently. Um, he introduced us. But how did you meet Marcus? What's the story behind that? So when I was on when I was on President Reagan's detail, President Reagan spent a lot of time in in California. So I was, seemed to be out here quite a bit, and I was at a the Century West Health Club. I was working out, and I had on a University of Michigan T-shirt. And uh, this this young guy, his name was Mark Reed. He saw my shirt, and he says, "Hey, did you go to Michigan?" I says, "Yes, I did." He said, "You know a guy named Reggie McKenzie." I said, yeah. I said, I grew up with Reggie. We went to high school together. And I said, he was a year ahead of me at high school and a year ahead of me at Michigan. And uh, Reggie was in, was All-American in football at Michigan. And he was an All-Pro in, uh, in uh, National Football League. He played for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so I became friends with Mark Reed. And Mark knew Marcus. And so he introduced me to Marcus. And we just kind of hit it off. And, uh, you know, and again, this is a guy that, you know, I followed Marcus's career, you know, when he was in college, he won the Heisman Trophy, and then he was a Super Bowl winner and Super Bowl MVP. So to be friends with him was, was it was fun. And so I remember one time I was coming out to L.A., and I, I called Marcus, and I said, hey, I'm going to be in L.A., um, so, you know, let's get together. He said, well, hey, I'll pick you up at the airport. I, I said, no, you don't have to do that. You know, he said, no, no, I, I don't have anything going. I, I'll pick you up. I'm like, okay. So I get to LAX and he's out front and he's got this beautiful, beautiful black Mercedes Benz. That thing was, so, I mean, Smooth. it was gorgeous. Yes, yeah. it was. <laughs> so I throw my, I throw my luggage in the trunk and so he wants to go run some errands and stuff. So I'm running, I'm, I'm, listen, he, I'm great. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's go. Is this your first time like one-on-one with Marcus at this point? Or have you had yes. other? Okay. So like this he's picking you. Time. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. picking me up. Yeah. So Mercedes. we're running around LA doing some running errands and stuff. You know, of course, every time we stop, he gets mobbed by people for autographs and stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the guy has no ego. So he had no problem talking to people. Yeah. So then we go to his condo and stuff and he's, he's got the Heisman trophy. It is at his condo and stuff. So now it's getting later in the day. And I say, hey, Marcus, I says, I, I got to get to the hotel, man. I got to get checked in. So can you drop me off? He goes, I don't have time to drop you off, man. Here, he tossed me the keys of his car. He says, just take my car. I go, no, man. <laughs> I am not, I'm not taking your car. I said, I can't even afford the license plate, man. He said, Reggie, I've got insurance, man. Just take the car, leave it at Valet, leave the keys, I'll get it later. Oh, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. So I get in this car, you know, it's pristine, you know, black, all black and stuff. Beautiful rims on his on his on his tires and stuff. So as I'm driving through his side street to get to Wilshire Boulevard, I'm telling you, I'm driving so slow. I've got I'm I'm ten and two on the steering wheel with my hands. Okay, <laughs> I've got emergency flashes. I'm driving so slow that this little kid on the bicycle, I think he even had training wheels. He passed me up. Okay, <laughs> so so I get I get to Wilshire Boulevard. I think it took me five minutes to turn on Washington Boulevard because I wanted to make sure traffic was completely clear. Oh, my word. Okay? Yeah. So I get on Washington Boulevard, and I'm driving like Miss Daisy. And uh, 10 and 2, flashers on. And uh, I get to this stoplight, and I look over, and there's this beautiful woman looking at me, and she smiles. So now instead of 10 and 2, I got, I'm at the 12 o'clock position on the steering wheel now. <laughs> okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, now I got I got a little bit of lean going and stuff, and I look at her and I give her the the head nod, like, "Hey, like, what's up?" Yeah. You know. <laughs> but you're like going five miles an hour. Yeah, yeah <laughs> looking exactly. like you stole the car, but it's yeah, fine. So, so I'm thinking that she's smiling. She actually she was laughing at me because I was driving driving so slow, 
you know, but eventually I get to the hotel and, and uh, I did leave the car there and the keys and stuff. So that was that was my adventure that day with Marcus. Oh, my word. I, I first of all, I love how casual Marcus was. It's like, man, no, just take the keys. And then yeah. how on the inside you're like, I can't believe I'm about to take this car right now. <laughs> did you ever drive it again or was that like the only time? That's the only time I drove that car. He, you know, he had a he had a Testarossa too, that uh, we would tool around in that thing and stuff. You know, I was living a high life hanging out with that guy with Marcus. Yeah. So, but the funny thing is, is like you have gotten to do so much in your life. You've gotten to be in cars and airplanes with presidents. You've gotten to see the world and do different things. But in your head, you're like, I can't believe I, I'm driving Marcus's car. Like that's where Absolutely. that's like where you're at in that in that time of life, which is like insane. Yeah. That's so funny. So yeah, forget about flying on Air Force One and yeah, and yeah. Driving you have Marcus Allen's limo. car. I, I'm driving Marcus Allen's oh car. Oh my gosh! So that was kind of the the start of your friendship. How old were you yes. at this point? Let me see. So eighty six, eighty seven. I'm roughly thirty five. Okay. Okay, you're in your prime. Yeah. Driving, yeah, I'm in my prime. Yeah. <laughs> driving Marcus's car. Yeah, no hanging out with deal. Marcus and stuff, you know, <laughs> giving out my business cards, you know, saying, "Hey, I'm friends of Marcus Allen," you know. That is hilarious. And then thus you started this awesome, rich, deep friendship. We don't have to share how old you are now, but your 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 yes. friendship is long. Long, long yes. history now with Marcus Allen. And now I'm friends with Marcus and you, which has just been such a cool ride so far. Um, and that you are coming back on the show to, to tell us more things. I did want to ask you a couple more things about yes. um, your time in the Secret Service. We, we got to tap into a little bit of that, into some rich history of your life. But there are more things um, to discuss. So I'm super excited about that. One thing I wanted to kind of go back on was you talked about um, the assassination of um, JFK when you were in seventh mm -hmm. grade. So. Right. Obviously, fast forward a lot of years, you're in the Secret Service, and there had to have been a shift in the Secret Service agency after a president is killed. So, like, we, yes. you know, we know with, like, 9-11, um, after that happened, the airports had to kind of crack down on some, some things. So what are some things that the Secret Service had to crack down on and some things that you learned that were different um, before and after the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Well, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, he was riding in an open limousine, basically a convertible. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that you never see anymore. You never see the president in an open limousine. Um, so that was one of the changes that was made. Another one was that they instituted counter-sniper teams, um, which is made of, of the uh, uniform division, provides counter-snipers. They're probably some of the best shots in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, So that was that was one of the things... You know, if you fast forward, I don't know if you realize this, but in 1968, uh, JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy, he was the front runner for the nomination for the uh, Democratic Party to be president. But on June 5th, 1968, he did not have Secret Service protection at that time because the Secret Service did not protect candidates running for president. Mm. But he was assassinated uh, in, in L.A. Uh, after giving a speech at, I think it was the L.A. Bonaventure Hotel. Um a guy named Sirhan Sirhan shot and killed Robert Kennedy. Oh my word. Five after years later. Was, I mean, yes. wow. Yeah. So after he was assassinated, then Congress enacted a law that said the Secret Service will now protect candidates running for, for the office of president. Wow. So so that was another one. Okay. So with JFK, um, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong. So maybe I should just have you share this story. Mm -hmm. But there was somebody shooting from like a window of like a hotel or from somewhere. Like where was where was the guy planted? That, that was JFK. That, that was, was JFK. Uh, okay. Yeah, Lee Harvey Oswald shot from his car. This it was a I think a a school building. Wow. That he shot from I think the third floor, and and again back then they didn't have counter sniper teams, but. Mm -hmm. Had we had counter sniper teams, that would not have happened because they would have spotted him in that window. Right. So now, when when presidents are, let's say, they're driving in a in a city with a lot of buildings, there's typically mm -hmm. the sniper teams in other like buildings, like scattered throughout, doing sweeps. Or what does that look like? Well, 
along during the motorcade, it's it's moving so fast, and the fact that the president is now is in an armored an armored vehicle. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, do they deploy counter sniper teams? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, where they're located at, can't really say. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But That's but they good. do. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they, yeah, they do utilize counter sniper teams, and they're they're made up from the uniform division for Secret Service, and and again, they're probably some of the best shots in the world. Wow. So, okay, just kind of off the cuff here, with mm-hmm. the, with a sniper team, if you wanted to be a part of that, do you have to go through different, like, levels in order to get there? Like, is that kind of the top division, or does it look different? Well, in the uniform division, you know, that's, that's a separate division from the agent positions. But the uniform division, you know, I'm sure a lot of the guys have military backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but the training, you know, the same thing, you know, you can be trained to be a, a sniper as long as you're a pretty good shot. But, you know, I don't know what their selection process is now, but I can only imagine, you know, it's a very, very select few guys that get to be counter snipers. Wow. That is, yeah. um, that is pretty impressive. I have to say my only, um, experience with the snipers with call of duty. So and I'm not even that good. So, but I have to say that's like pretty cool. I always feel like, man, when I'm on a special op in Call of Duty, I feel like, man, I could be on a sniper team, but I couldn't. So that's okay. Um, anyways, there are so much more that we can go into about about mm-hmm. the things that have changed with the Secret Service. Um, but there are other times where you have been around um, with presidents in harm's way. Uh, President Reagan was shot um, on March 30th, 1981. Were you in Secret Service during this time? Where were you during this time uh, when this all went down? Yes. Yeah, I was in Secret Service. I was stationed in the Detroit office, but I was actually doing a temporary assignment with uh, President Reagan's daughter, Marine Reagan. I was out in California. Hmm. Uh, I was in the command post. Um, TV was on. And of course, this this news bulletin comes on and, you know, I'm watching it and it's the attempt on his life. And I'm like, whoa, you know, and, you know, I watched the whole thing and stuff. Um, and all four of his kids in L.A. at the time had security details. And Marine Reagan, Mike Reagan, Ron Reagan Jr. and then Patty Davis. So what they did was uh, that night they put all four of the kids on an Air Force plane, and we flew to D.C., got in early that next morning, and then Marine Reagan had a chance to go, you know, see the president at the uh, at the hospital and stuff. Um, but eventually, when I end up going to the president's detail, and what people don't realize is, so John Hinckley was a shooter, mm-hmm. and he was trying to profess his admiration or love for the actress Jodie Foster, as who I think she was like 15 or 16 at the time. Wow. But he was off to the side and then when the president was coming out of the Washington Hilton hotel, walking to the vehicle, Hinkley got off five shots. And in those five shots, he hit four people, shot the president. He shot secret service agent, Tim uh, McCarthy. He shot James Brady, who was one of the top uh, senior aides for the president. And he shot a police officer. Mm. The changes that came after that was that, Everybody has to go through metal detectors now. The other thing is that the president will normally will arrive either at an underground garage or they'll have a, a tent where the car pulls into a tent and then they pull down the flap so he's not exposed. Mm. So again, the Secret Service changes come after incidents, and it's unfortunate. You know, People seem to think that the Secret Service can tell the president what to do. They can't. Secret Service can make suggestions, but eventually the president, along with his staff, they're going to do what whatever he wants to do. Secret Service job is to build security around whatever it is that he wants to do. Mm. So, so again, it's unfortunate, but changes come after incidents. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah. so a couple questions from from that whole situation. Um, one is is I've always been curious in the white house or when a president's going to bed, like, are there agents at the door guarding the door? Like, is like, are they like Mr. President's in the bathroom? Like, what does that look like <laughs> on their day to day life? Like, how are they being protected? You know, um, even in their, their new home. 
365 days a year. Oh my gosh. Do they ha- like? Think do they that. come in the room or are they outside of the room, like out out of the door, like? Outside. They're outside not. They're the- not in. So if you look, if you think of the White House, there's two sides of the White House. Mm-hmm. You heard this? The movie The West Wing. I've never. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, okay. The West Wing is the working side of the White House. That's where you have the Oval Office. That's okay. when you see all the press briefings and stuff. The press briefing room is over there. That's the working side of the White House. The east side of the White House is where the residence is. That's where he, he lives and he sleeps and stuff. But it's also where the public tours are coming through the east side. They have what they call the blue room, the green room, the red room. So they give public tours on the east side. So it's two sides of the White House. Working side is the is the west wing. East side is where the residence. Wow. 24-7 so, covers 365 days a year. So there are people coming in to... Okay, like, let's take presidency and White House aside. There are strangers, if we're putting it in layman's terms, coming into Mm -hmm. a man's house every single day for tours on the side that he sleeps on. Yes. But but he's, yeah, he's upstairs. They they don't, they don't see him. Yeah. But still, I mean, that's like a lot of people, like random people in and out. But it's, it's a controlled environment. Right. Again, everybody goes through metal detectors. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the uniform division is there. So it's been going on for years, mm. for years. But so, yeah. Okay. Okay. A couple other questions about the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, where does Secret Service eat? Where does Secret Service sleep? Where do, Like, what do you guys <laughs> do? Like, are you getting bunk beds upstairs? <laughs> like, what does that look like? <laughs> the Secret Service, we don't, we, we, they don't sleep at the White House. Okay. OK, when it comes to eating, they have what's called the White House mess. It's like a cafeteria. Uh, so Monday through Friday, you can order if you work in day shift, you can get breakfast and get lunch. And later in the evening around six or so, I think you can still get dinner. Okay. On the weekends, the mess is closed. So either you brown bag it or what we used to do is order pizzas from Domino's Pizza. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, and have them deliver it to the White House. We meet them at a gate, go out there and pay for it, and take the uh, pizzas inside. And well, that's how we would eat. Did you ever of get course, to share you... pizza with the president? No. Man, no. See, I'd be like, hey, Reagan, you want a slice? Like... <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. No, we never got to share food with the, with the president and stuff. We weren't there for that. But it's funny that we would send an agent out to the, I remember when I went out to the gate one time to get some, pick up the pizzas and stuff and people would say, is that for the president? And I was like, nope, not for the president and stuff. There's a lot of us here that are hungry, that are watching the president 24 seven, 365. Okay. So what about like air force one when you're on the airplane? Yes. So if you're, if you're on the manifest, Mm -hmm. then they have meals based on the number of people on the manifest. So, yes, you get to eat on Air Force One. Food is excellent. You can only imagine how, how again, because they're feeding the president, so the food is, is, is very, very good. Okay, so the, it is the same people feeding the president that's feeding um, yes. Secret Service and the rest of the staff. Oh, yes, because you have, you, have you have the press. There's The press is on there, Air Force One. You've got Secret Service on there. you got senior staff, and you got the president. Is there like, a head, like a head chef? Like, is there just like a, a, an entire almost like restaurant vibe in the White House with the mess? Yes, yes. They have they had a head chef, uh, and most of the uh, most of the meals are prepared by the military. Wow. At the White House, and same same thing on Air Force One. I think they're uh, the cooks are all military. Okay. Wow. See, I thought uh, going on a cruise you get special treatment with their food, but I think you won with the White House. That's incredible. Okay, yes. so during your time with President Reagan, there were some other things that had happened um, that threatened the life of Reagan. So can you talk a little bit about the incident at Augusta National Golf Course with Reagan? Yeah, it, this is an interesting story. So this this took place on October 22nd, 1983. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did not golf back then, so I didn't really understand what the big deal was regarding Augusta National Golf Course. Of course, now that I, I'm older, I, I realize, you know, what a great place that is. 
But one of the things I learned is after they have the masters in April, they pretty much shut down the, the course. But back then, the Secretary of the State, George Schultz, was a member of uh, Augusta, and he invited President Reagan there to play golf. So August 22nd, 1983, President's out there golfing, and uh, I was on the CAT team then. So as a matter of fact, my team was there on the grounds of Augusta, along with part of the motorcade, but we were not on the course. We were on a, a road that kind of surrounds Augusta. So we had what we call checkpoints. Mm -hmm. So checkpoint one might cover the first three holes. So they would call out the president's on the first tee, he's in the first fairway, he's on the first green. So we have an idea where he is. Somewhere in the middle of uh, on the back nine, um, a guy drove through one of the gates. Uh, drove up, jumped out, took some people hostage in the pro shop. Oh uh, matter of fact, two of the people were on the president's staff. He demanded to talk to the to the president. So, as the as a cat team leader, my first thought was: was it one guy? Was it ten guys? You really don't know. But so imagine imagine this. So once that happened, you had the president's limo is followed with his agents in it, uh, what they call the control vehicle with the military aid, our CAD vehicle. We go driving across the Gusta National Golf Course, heading for the president, tearing up this golf course in these vehicles and stuff. Mm. Uh, end up grabbing the president, put him in the limo. And then there was a situation where they were trying to determine what do we do next? What kind of situation do we have? So um, at that point, my CAT team, we deployed to put a bigger perimeter around the president and his agents um, until such time that they could figure out what was going on. It turned out, you know, the, the guy had some mental issues. He was, uh, I think he was alcoholic. I think he had lost his job. Um, eventually, they took the president, evacuated the president to an a, a, a unknown location. And then uh, they end up talking this guy out, and he ended up giving up. Um, a lot of people didn't really hear about it because early the next morning in Beirut, they had a suicide bomber that drove a, uh, a truck into the Marine barracks and ended up killing 241 Marines. Um, so the president ended up leaving early the next morning to uh, fly back to D.C. So he never got a chance to finish his round at, at Augusta. Oh, my word. Um, you know, but like I said, years later, when once I started golfing, and I realized that I was at Augusta National Golf Course, you know, I was hitting myself upside the head because I probably could have figured out a way to get around the golf hit on that course. Man. Okay, so what happened to the guy? Did he end up going to jail or like what did yes. you guys? Okay, he did. Yeah, yeah, he was prosecuted. Thing, I'm not sure how much time he got, but he did some prison time before that. Okay. And, and what people don't realize is that. Any threat is a serious threat when it comes to the president. If, if you were at a restaurant, mm -hmm. Brooke, and let's say you overheard someone say, you know what, man, if I had a chance, man, I would shoot the president. If you were to report that to the Secret Service, they would investigate it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they would go back to that restaurant. Yeah, you may not even know who the person is, but they'd go back to that restaurant. They'd talk to the bartenders they would talk to the hostess to try to figure out who this person is but eventually they would track down who that person is oh my gosh. and then you have to make a determination are they really a threat to the president and stuff so yeah people just can't make idle threats against the president because no. it's taken very seriously not at all well that's good that it's taken serious does do yep. we know what happened to hinckley the guy that attempted to assassinate reagan as a matter of fact, he was just recently given his unconditional release. Um, yeah, I think he had, uh, again, he was in a mental institution for such a long time, but uh, they deemed him well enough right now to give him unconditional release. So, yeah, he's out. Matter of fact, the gentleman that, uh, that assassinated Robert Kennedy, mm -hmm. um, he's up for parole. So I think they're going to review his case, but there's a good chance that he may be released. Uh my word i have I, yes. have I have some feelings let me just say that but that is that's intense i when i when i think about 
um, the president, you know, being assassinated or attempted to be assassinated and now knowing you, knowing someone that was in kind of the front lines of Secret Service, you know, these are just things that we're not thinking about in our daily life, you know, for the for the rest of us. I don't want to say the common people, but for the common people, for lack of better words, you know, we're not thinking about that stuff. But there is someone at all times that is thinking about the well-being of whoever is in office. And we've chatted about this before. Um, it's not necessarily like, oh, I want to kill Biden or I want to kill Trump or I want to kill Obama. It's like I they want to be known for killing the president, like the, the op- president, the office. And that is insane to me. And just and kind of like recircle back to what you talked about with um, Hinckley of being obsessed with Jodie Foster. Like, where does it connect that you would show your love and allegiance for someone based off of assassinating a president? Like, that is just like, oh, that's just sad. That's that's but it's unfortunate. But that's the mindset of of some of these individuals. You know, Mm -hmm. they they want their 15 minutes of fame. The 50 minutes of glory, you know, as a matter of fact, and I think it was, I want to say 72 or 73, but George Wallace, um, who was running for president uh, at the time as a candidate, he was campaigning in Maryland Mm -hmm. and uh, he was shot by a guy named Arthur Brimmer and uh, Wallace ended up being paralyzed. And uh, one of the agents uh, was shot at, at also during his time. And, and again, he didn't have he he had secret service protection, but nobody went through metal detectors back then. Mm-hmm. You know, which is is a good way to deter again. You know, people are trying to bring in weapons and stuff. But again, it, it takes incidents, mm-hmm. and it's it's just unfortunate that that's the way it is, uh, especially for secret service. Because, again, you can't tell the president what to do. You can't tell the candidate what to do. Right. Um, you know, in Reagan's case, you know, he had just come into office. Um, he was very popular. His, uh, his staff said, no, he wants to be able to touch hands and people to see him and stuff. And unfortunately, you know, he was shot and so was James Brady. It took that incident to hurt to make the changes, you know, where the president was no longer exposed. You know, in the Secret Service, you know, you, you what you're trying to do is you're trying to take away options, as many options as you possibly can. So when you're doing an advance, you're constantly saying to yourself, what if, what if, what if this happens, what if that happens? So that you try to have a plan for anything that goes wrong, you have a plan for it. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing an advance, you stay up, you stay up, you don't get much sleep because you're constantly saying to yourself that I cover this, that I cover this, that I cover this, you know, you're leaning on your team and stuff. Um, it's very gratifying, you know, when they have what they call a wheels up, when when Air Force One wheels up and, and leaves your, uh, you know, your location, you feel really good that, you know, nothing happened. Yeah. But God forbid if something happens, you're the lead advance, you're going to be on Capitol Hill answering questions like, how did this happen? Yeah. Gosh. You know, so it's, it's a lot of pressure, but like I said, it's very, very gratifying. For sure. We're going to take a quick break to discuss Write It Down's brand new website. You can head over to widpod.com, W-I-D-P-O-D.com and see all the goods. You'll notice a banner at the top of the page that says learn more. If you click that link, it'll show you how you can support Write It Down. P.S. My favorite part about the website is the WID wall, which is a collection of all the Write It Downs from the show. This podcast is made possible by the 1513 Network. So show the network some love and support by listening to their other shows. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Now, back to the show. This is kind of a a question that I've Mm -hmm. gleaned just from this more recent five minutes or so is... Have you noticed like a decline in assassinations and attempted assassinations because of the Secret Service stepping it up or like the overall health and wellness of of people? And the reason why I asked this, I feel like in the 60s to like the 80s, like you even think about like John Lennon or you mm-hmm. know Martin Luther King, like just people wanting to kill just one specific person. Now, I think that the stuff is still out there. But as far as like icons are concerned, there's not a lot of that in the news right now. Why do you think that is? Well, there's two. I think there's two things. 
you know, it's it's great to be a celebrity, it's great to be an athlete, but they become targets. Yeah. You know, they don't have that level of protection like Secret Service provides for the president. They don't get intels of, of potential threats against their lives. You know, they have to deal with stalkers. You know, somebody finding out where where you live, you know, and showing up at your house. You know, and if you do get a stalker, you know, you go to the police. Do they really believe that it's a real threat? You know, this whole thing about getting, you know, what they call a protection order. You know, which is just a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't really stop anybody. When tell you, well, you can't be within 500 feet of so and so. That doesn't stop them. Right. You know, on Secret Service side, you know, things have changed. And, and after 9-11, domestic terrorism has increased and stuff. You know, so the Secret Service has to rely on intelligence, not just from when they get these these letters, but from other agencies. And that's what I'm saying. Every threat they 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 take serious. They take as many precautions as they possibly can. And, yeah, it, is, the Secret, is the president in a bubble? Yeah, he's in a bubble. But there's a reason for it. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to keep him alive hmm. because you never know where that next government is coming from. So that's why, you know, they take so many precautions. You know, they're always evolving. They're always learning. You know, they're big on training in the Secret Service. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's intense. Mm-hmm. You know, and when I was on a present detail, that's why, you know, four years on a present detail is 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 enough time because the pressure that you're under on a daily basis, you know, to do your job, to make sure that nothing happens on your watch. Right. So I feel bad. I, like I said, it's great to be a celebrity, but in the same vein, you know, they, they're in such a spotlight the target. and they don't have that level of, of protection. Yeah. It makes me think of um, this phrase, the law is for the lawless, meaning like there's a speed limit because somebody at some point went over a certain amount of miles per hour and hurt someone. So now there has to be a law. There has to be a limit of where, how fast you can go. Like whenever I was a kid, uh, there was this road in um, near my town that used to have a 45 mile per hour um, speed limit and then a kid was killed. And so then they lowered it to 35 to be at a more residential speed because something happened. It took an incident. It took an incident. And, you know, that is exactly what's happened um, with the protection agency. I think it's what's happening right now in our world with the coronavirus. I mean, there's restaurants now that have like plexiglass between each booth that they used to not have. You know, there's... You know, I always thought to myself when this first happened with hand sanitizer booths and washing our hands, I'm like, shouldn't we be doing that anyway? Like, why? Like, why now is this something that we're like, hey, make sure you wash your hands? Like, I was the type of kid. I mean, I'm a clean freak, but I was the type of kid that like was told, don't even put your hands in the gumball machine at the mall because nasty kids have been putting their hands in there. So I've just always been that way. So now I'm like, hello, glad we have hand sanitizer stations. Nowadays, but it's true when an incident happens that reinforces um, a law or um, something a precautionary to take place. Um, Okay, so there were other things that have happened during your time. Aside from Reagan, you were also in Secret Service with um, Bush Sr., um, Mm -hmm. which are two great legends that were in office. And so it's just also super cool to kind of hear the behind the scenes of that. So what was Bush Sr. like um, and what was what are some of the stories that you have personally with him? Oh man, he was he was a uh, he was a jock. He loved sports. I remember the uh, the weekend of the the inauguration on that Sunday after they took his brother away to the airport. He uh, he was standing outside the diplomatic room, and if you ever see the arrivals and departures from the south grounds of the White House. The president's kind of looking out at the south grounds of the White House, and uh, I'm standing next to him. And off to the side were the the maintenance guys. And so the president said, "Hey, what what are you guys doing over there?" So, so again, you gotta you gotta keep in mind that he's he's talking to the maintenance guys. They're not used to the president talking to them, you know. And they said, "Well, we're uh, we're going to put the canopy back on the entrance to the diplomatic room." He says, oh, okay. 
he said, uh, you know, he says, I'm, I, I'm trying to decide if I want to put my horseshoe pit down by the tennis courts. He said, because that way I could have two events going at the same time. And uh, he said at Camp David, he said, they put these wooden backboards on my horseshoe pit. And the guy said, well, we can do the same thing for you if you want to. So he said, oh, okay. So he used to refer to the agents as marshals. So he said, you know, I can't decide if I want to go swimming today, if I want to go for a run. And he looked at me and said, what do the marshals think about that? And I said, well, you're the president of the United States. You can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he decided he wanted to go swimming that afternoon. And uh, they had to get the pool heated. I didn't even know they had a pool behind the, uh, at, at this, in this cabana because President Reagan never, never used the pool. And uh, so they got the pool heated, put some towels out there. And that afternoon he went for a swim. And uh, so as he swims the length of the pool, I'm parallel with, I'm walking parallel with him. And I said to him, I said, Mr. President, I said, you know, if you have trouble in that pool, I'm not jumping in that water. (laughs) 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 He said, said, how are you going to be on my Olympic team if you're not going to get this water? I said, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not getting in that water. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to bring in another marshal. Someone that likes the water. That is hilarious. While he was in office, he actually started a uh, a horseshoe tournament, a round robin tournament. He had a team, uniform division had a team, the cooks had a team. So imagine the cooks with their white aprons on and these big white hats. They're out there pitching horseshoes oh, with the president. My word. Yeah. That is so fun. Okay, so I imagine, too, that presidents have started traditions in the White House that have continued into the next presidency. One thing I want to ask that I'm curious about the White House, what is Christmas like at the White House? Uh, it, it's it's phenomenal. Oh. You know, the, the decorations. Um, and it's really nice because when I was there, the uh, – President Reagan and Mrs. Reagan, you know, they would host a Christmas party for the agents, you know, so you could bring your significant other to the White House and you get a picture with the president and the first lady in front of the the Christmas tree and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was very, 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 very nice and stuff. You know, the other thing that was that was nice when I was there was that, you know, there's so much to see when you come to Washington, D.C. in terms of as a tourist you know, there's the, the museums, you know, there's uh, the Lincoln Memorial, there's the Jefferson Memorial, there's the Washington Monument, the Reflecting Pool. But one place I always tell people to go is over to, National, to Arlington National Cemetery. Because when people say a cemetery, I said, yeah, it's, you, you just have to go there and see. When President Kennedy was assassinated, he was buried at Arlington National Cemetery and Jacqueline Kennedy at the time, they have what's called the eternal flame. Mm-hmm. So at his gravesite, this eternal flame has been burning since the day he was buried there. Wow. Yes. And then you have the tomb of the unknown soldier. And it's guarded 24-7, 365 by the, uh, the honor guard. And if you've never seen it, Pull it up on YouTube. Yeah. The changing it's called the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Unbelievable. Because every Memorial Day, the president comes there for a ceremony and he, he places a wreath at the tomb and stuff. It's just it's just wow. it's just unbelievable and stuff. But what I was gonna say is that when I was there, when I was there, we were fortunate that we could bring family and friends into the White House okay. and give them a tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that was always really nice to uh, be able to take your family and friends to the White House. That is sweet. So can I ask you more of a, a personal question during that time in your life? How do you have time for you have three kids? Um, where did you meet your wife at that time? Like wh- what's kind of the <laughs> personal life that you were able to create while you're in Secret Service? Well, so my wife, my second wife, actually, I was I was single when I was in the uh at the White House. Okay. So I met her when I came back to Detroit. And she was actually my roommate mm. before anything else. So we became friends that way. Eventually we were married. And just after I retired, uh, my wife got pregnant. Oh, wow. And, uh, and we had twins. And uh, 
and it, you know, it really worked out because, you know, if that had happened while I was still working in the Secret Service, I would have missed so many holidays and, and birthdays yeah, and all their, their events sure. and stuff, all the, the travel yeah. and stuff. So, the you know, I was blessed up. that, yeah, it, it, it worked out. It worked out perfect that uh, uh, I was able to be home all the time, miss any of their events and so forth and stuff. Yeah, so, I, can, I mean, I can imagine when you're when you're in the Secret Service. So people can only have four um, four years in the Secret Service on the presidential detail. Is that correct, or can you read? At the you... most, at the most five, unless at you come five. back as a supervisor. But okay, I, like I said, four years. I was I was ready to go. Yeah, like I can I imagine. Said, yeah, you know, you're you're on this on this high all the time you got to be at the top of your game every minute of the day yeah you know you can't let your guard down and stuff and you know there's a lot of it's a lot of pressure and that stuff so yeah my four years i was ready to go you know i was going to tell you this other story about about president bush that was really funny yeah yeah tell he like he liked to he liked to go for he liked to he liked to go for a run all the time mm-hmm. so depending on, on what shift you're working if you're in the afternoon shift when he might go for a run the day before, the shift leader would designate two agents and say, you're going to be runners, so bring your running gear with you. So on this particular day, I was one of the runners. And President Bush would either go to Fort McNair in Virginia to go for a run, or he would go to a place called Haynes Point, which is just a park in D.C. So on this day, we go to Haynes Point, you know, no lights and siren, you know. We pull up there. He gets out. He's stretching and stuff. And he looks over, and there's this couple, and they have their back to the road, so they don't even see the motorcade. They don't see the president. And he he walks over to them, and he goes, uh, "You catch anything in the uh, Potomac?" And, and I'm sure they're thinking, like, "Okay, who's this? Who's this guy messing with us?" And they turn around, and the look on their face <laughs> <laughs> when it's the president of the United States, and uh, he said, uh, "You eat the fish in the Potomac." And they were like, yeah, and he had that look in his face like, man, there's no way I would eat that the fish out of that Potomac and stuff. And then the, away he goes and he starts running and stuff. And it was just, it was, I wish I had a camera just to capture the look on their on face, face when they were like. Because he's yeah, just so like, nonchalant about just talking to these, so, these strangers. So nonchalant. Oh, my so gosh. So nonchalant. What? Such a, such, a, such a nice guy. What it must be like to be the president, to just literally create shock value wherever you go i mean again like you're saying it's like you're you're famous but you're also a target but also to kind of have that like shock value to just everyday people like talking about fish it's like okay i see you bush senior i see you what is camp david like it's a camp that's all you're gonna tell me (laughs) that's all you're gonna tell me about this this camp it's, it's called it's a presidential retreat it's a camp wow okay i see you reggie whatever mm-hmm. you don't gotta tell mm-hmm. me that's mm-hmm. why you're in secret service because you can keep you wanna, the secret you want to you, you know where it is yeah but i feel like you're setting me up it's in maryland that's why you're <laughs> 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 whatever okay <sighs> you know what i've I have to say, though, you you came and you shared a lot of quote unquote secrets that I would never know if I wouldn't have met you. And a lot of people listening would not have known unless you came on the show, not once, but twice to share so many awesome stories, so many personal stories. Um, We are going to get to that point of the show uh, again where I ask you another write it down. So I don't know if I have told you that I'm going to do that again, but surprise, surprise, we're going to do it again. But I do have a couple more fun little questions like we did last time, some rapid fire. And if there's anything else that you'd like to say to the audience before you write it down, you can take it away. But I'm going to ask you a couple rapid fire. Okay. 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 First one is, would you rather be in colder or hotter temperatures? Hotter. Hotter temperatures. Why? Man, when you get old, cold weather ain't good for your bones, man. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do that. See, I'm a Florida girl, and I, I like, hate 
being hot, but it's like what I know. So that's cool. But I also think I hate being cold more. So trust me, you don't want to be cold. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't think I want to be cold. It just sounds nice. Like it looks good on TV, but I don't necessarily think I could handle it. I'm like wearing hoodies and sweatshirts when it gets like 65 in Florida. So I get that. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Is it easier to tie your shoes up when your hands are freezing or when they're sweaty? When they're sweating. And warm. When they're sweating. Okay, then. Yeah, no, it's go. true. And I used to, when I used to play soccer and we'd have like games in Georgia and it'd be cold in the morning, like I could barely even move, barely run. Like you just stop working. It's horrible. Yes. And I also don't like um, being cold in restaurants. So, I mean, I'm just a princess. I like being perfect. <laughs> so that's why I live in Florida. Okay. Next question is. Would you um, prefer like Three Musketeers or are we talking like Snickers and Reese's? Give me Snickers, man. Snickers. Is that your go-to candy? That's my go-to. Snickers, Snickers, Tootsie Roll Pops, and Jolly Ranchers. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So next question. Uh, If there was like one hobby that you could do um, every single day, what would it be? golf golfing so now now when did you start your your golf your golf game because you weren't necessarily oh, a golfer let me, see. let me see probably early 90s i started i started golfing as a matter of fact i i, I take it so serious <laughs> that i'm i'm difficult to play with as a matter of fact marcus used to always say playing in a foursome in golf at red you like playing in a threesome he said dude lighten up man talk you know have some fun yeah you know but you're not there to have fun you're there to win i'm there to win yes okay i used to throw so much shade at golf because number one i mean i'm friends with marcus and i've met a lot of his friends and done golf tournaments i i worked at the um tpc up in jacksonville for the pga tour the players championship i bartend and have a lot of people that come in after their golf game so i was like you know what? i'm sick of golfers and they're they go out there for hours it's so boring well and plus i'm bad at it so i hate things that i'm bad at but i went with my neighbor about a month or so ago this this older lady and she taught me how to play and it was so much fun what i loved the most about it was maybe it's just because i'm maturing and like i feel like mature people play golf Um, but it was so nice to just be on the course with like no distractions. I didn't have my phone. It was beautiful out. I mean, and it's a game against yourself. And what I like about it is, uh, one thing that my neighbor told me, she's so sweet old lady. She said, Brooke, slow your swing down. Like when you slow your swing down, that, that club is going to make contact with the ball regardless. So the ball's going to go. She's like, it's like life. You have to take it slow so you can enjoy it. I'm like, oh, I love golf. I love golf so much. So now I have a deeper respect. But you're my first interview that I've been able to to talk to somebody about my about new appreciation golf. about golf. It's yeah, the most I'm always, frustrating game. It is. It's the most frustrating game. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about this. It's the only sport, you know, where the ball sits still. And it dares you. It says, hit me. <laughs> hit it's me. True. As a matter of fact, true. you can put it on a tee, tee it up a little bit. And say, and it says, hit me, yep. hit me straight. Yep. And you can't do it. Yeah. My wife used to say, you take away the golf ball, it's nothing but walking. <laughs> so true. It's true. I asked, I asked some of my bar regulars, you know, why they golf. I said, do you guys golf because you like golf or because you can get away from your families? And they said both. <laughs> so I was like, it, okay, I can see it. I can see it. Listen, four or five hours on a golf course, man, there's just there was just nothing nothing like it. It's That's true. how I look at it and stuff. It's true. But apparently you're not the guy to play with because you're too serious. So Yeah, I, I tried I tried to lighten up a little bit, but like I said, man, you know, I I'm out there, you know, I'm trying to I think I'm Tiger Woods and stuff, you know. Yeah, it, i get it. I understand. Marcus needs yeah. to get on that level. Maybe he'd be better at golf. I'm just throwing some oh, shade. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell him his game is not good, okay? Don't tell him that. I won't. Okay? If you're listening to this, Marcus, we're kidding. You're awesome at golf. You're the best. But yeah, he's anyway, probably on the golf course right now. He probably is. And he probably yeah. will be when he's listening to this, too. So it's okay. Yeah. But anyways, Reggie, I'm so glad you came back on the show. We are at that point in the show. Um, can I ask you one second? Can I add something to oh, this? Oh, please, please. Okay. 
so you know the Atlanta Braves just won the World Series. Yes. Right. And their regular season record was 88 and 73. They won 88 and lost 73. The Milwaukee Bucks won the uh, NBA championship, and their record was 46 and 26. Mm. Lost 26 times. Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and their record was 11 and 5. And protect the President of the United States, every day is a Super Bowl for the Secret Service, and they can't lose. So think about that. The last time the Secret Service lost was 58 years ago, November 22nd, 1963. Wow. They can't lose. They can't lose. They have to win every day. Every single day. And that is a lot of pressure, like you were saying. So I can imagine just four-year term is is plenty it's plenty yes. to and they got they got fresh eyes they got fresh hands and feet going in there to make sure that the president of the united states is protected and if anybody's listening to this and lives in the united states we live in such a blessed and protected country and reggie we are so thankful for your service we are thankful for all the men and women who have served our country um overseas here um locally wherever you're at thank you so much for putting your life on the line to to take care of the rest of us and uh, we can never repay you guys so we we thank you so much reggie um do you have a write it down to share with the rest um of our our time yes short and sweet okay leadership is an action not a position write it down reggie ball back to back with fire write it downs awesome stories just great great demeanor um you're just amazing thank you so much for coming back on write it down and i look forward to talking to you more and building a friendship thank you so much absolutely thank you so much for having me i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh if you ever need me again all you gotta do is pick up the phone and call me thanks reg you're the best take care bro you too bye-bye bye Thank you for listening to the Write It Down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool stands for write it down podcast but it's abbreviated to woodpod anyways thanks for listening and we will catch you later